Okay, silence speaks. Silence speaks. The reason uh, for this title today will hopefully become a, a bit clearer, but it's based on something that Jesus said on the very first Palm Sunday. Uh, Luke is the only gospel writer who records these particular and, and very striking words of Jesus. I tell you, if these were silent, in other words, what he's saying, I tell you, if these disciples of mine were silent, then the very stones would cry out. So silence speaks. Uh, four years ago on Palm Sunday 2014, uh, we looked at this text. Some of you may have been there. And so there may be a little bit of overlap this morning, but I'm going to come at it from, uh, from a different angle as to what I did that day. Uh, so if you do have a Bible and you would like to turn to Luke 19, I don't have the words on the screen this morning, uh, so sorry about that. But uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 19, have it on a device, or if somebody beside you has a Bible, shimmy up to them and, and share with them. But let's, let's stand together for the public reading of God's Word. Luke 19, starting at verse 28. And when he had said these things, that's Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along and they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, proclaiming, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, grab a seat. This was, this is a, a historic day. And I can say that with confidence because here we are over two millennia later, marking it and recalling it. And we're not alone because right across the world, right across this globe, millions upon millions of people have done, are doing, and will do exactly the same thing as us. They will remember, they will celebrate Palm Sunday as they step into this Easter, this Holy Week. This is a historic day. But it's not only historic because it has been recalled for 2,000 plus years, but it's also historic because it was so eagerly and anticipated and predicted for at least 500 years before it actually happened. And so as Stephen has already read for us, here's an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah 500 years before Jesus appeared on the scene that said this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. In other words, the script has been written. The script has been written, and therefore as Jesus enters Jerusalem, and as he enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and as he enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and as he's greeted 
as king, then here is an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled before crowds and crowds of people. This is a truly historic day. But it's also a day charged with emotion. There is a huge, as we just read, outpouring of joy. They're singing and dancing in the streets. But there's also tension. There's tension in the air. Not everyone's excited about what's going on. And those who are unimpressed make their feelings known. But there's joy, there's tension, there's also deep sorrow. And I think we, we miss or we overlook this particular aspect of Palm Sunday because if you read on, and I didn't read this bit, but as you read on, you discover at one point Jesus breaks into tears. His heart's heavy. He starts crying. There's a real mixture of emotion being expressed as this historic, emotionally charged day unfolds. But let me start with the intense joy because clearly this was an occasion that called for praise. Now is the time to worship. And as we begin this week of all weeks, I want to encourage, my message simple, simple this morning, I want to encourage us to join in. I want to remind us that we are a people, we are to be a people of praise. Back in, in, in Luke chapter 9, we read that Jesus started this journey. In, in verse 51 of that particular chapter, we read that Jesus resolutely set out towards Jerusalem. So in other words, this date, this historic date, this emotionally charged date, this date was in the diary. And for nine chapters, Luke tracks his journey. And all along the route, Jesus says, and he does some incredible things, but you know something, he, he often downplays them. And he often goes about hiding his true identity. In fact, he tells quite a few people, listen, keep it under wraps. Keep it to yourself. But as he embarks on this last leg of his journey, the time has come. It's time to go public. It's time to lift the lid. It's time to let the praise begin. And it does. And so as Jesus makes his way down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem on a donkey, we read that the whole multitude of his disciples, so there were more than 12, Numbers had clearly grown. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Other gospel writers, and Stephen's referred to this already this morning, other gospel writers tell us that crowds join in. It wasn't just his multitude of his disciples. Crowds join in. Some people are waving palm branches. Some people throw palm branches on the ground along with their coats to create a kind of red carpet. And praise begins and it breaks out. And one of the things that I want us to take into Easter, one of the things I want us to take into this Holy Week, one of the lessons I want us to walk away from or with this morning is the need to join in with the Palm Sunday crowd or at least most of them and praise God. Let us not be silent this week because do you know something? Silence speaks volumes. Let's not be silent. And as we recall and as we reflect again on Jesus' final days and on what we know Jesus endured and what he went through and what he achieved for us, we should not be quiet. We dare not be quiet. Jesus deserves our praise, our loud, full-on, joyful praise, our vocal praise. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. 
Jesus is worthy, and so let's lift our voices. Let's fill our lungs. Let's inform our faces if necessary, and let's declare praise. And not just within these walls. Not just within these walls. Because on that first Palm Sunday, singing broke out in the streets. Singing broke out in the streets. Now, I'm not suggesting we we all leave here literally singing our way to the car. Although it would be great if we did. I'm not suggesting you go into the garage on the way home, whatever you have to pick up, and you sing, okay? But what I am saying is this. Praise can't be. It should not be confined to certain places or contained within certain structures. It can't be. Instead, on busy roads, in everyday places, as we go about our daily lives, our daily business, we can openly and joyfully praise God. Why? For what he has done. For, as these disciples were saying, for his mighty works. All the mighty works of God that we have got to say thank you to God for, praise God for, celebrate And this week provides the perfect opportunity. And so can I encourage you to take time over the next seven days to praise God whenever you can, wherever you can, and with whoever you can. Just let praise break out in the streets. Let's not confine it into this building or the building of Malone Avenue. But alongside, or rather mingled with and part of praise, there's proclamation. And so the people are shouting in a loud voice. They're praising God, but they're also proclaiming something. They're declaring something. And here's what they're saying. Blessed or blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so as well as being a people of praise, can I encourage us to be a people of proclamation? People of praise and a people of proclamation. The first half of that quote By the way, it's from the Psalms. Those of you who have got a Bible in front of you will probably see that there's a footnote and it says that this particular phrase or quote is taken from Psalm 118 and it's verse 26. Although if you were to look up Psalm 118 verse 26, you'll see that this is not a direct quote. Because in Psalm 118 verse 26, it actually says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Whereas here, what is the cloud declaring? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And you see, what is going on here is that the people are finally and fully realizing exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the king. He is the one who has come in the name of the Lord. And alone about four to five days time, the shouts of praise will be replaced with demands for crucifixion. We must not let that rob us of this moment because here the crowd has become fully aware of the identity of Jesus and Palm Sunday. And so they proclaim it loudly and they proclaim it boldly. Blessed is not just he, blessed is the king. This is the one, this is the Messiah, this is who we've been waiting for. And the second thing that they proclaimed was a kind of version of the angelic announcement at Jesus' birth. And you read it in Luke chapter 2, where the angels tell the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and peace where? Peace on earth. Well, that's not unlike what the crowds are shouting now, except they're declaring peace where? In heaven, not just on earth. And so according to the many commentators, the peace that Jesus was born to bring, the mission of Jesus was to bring peace on a cosmic scale. 
The peace that he was bringing impacts earth and heaven. It's peace between people. It's peace amongst people. But it's also peace with God. Between man, between humanity and God. And somehow this historic day, this emotionally charged day, the people got that peace in a peace on a cosmic scale. Glory to God in the highest. And for us, do you know, it is now our responsibility, it is our privilege to do what? To proclaim Jesus as king and to share with others what he has done. Otherwise, do you know what? Our silence speaks volumes. Now at this point, the atmosphere changes. Joyful praise is punctured by vocal negativity. Not everyone's joining in the worship. Not everyone does. Not everyone is singing and dancing. Not everyone is broadcasting Jesus as king. Not everyone is confirming peace on a cosmic scale. Luke tells us there's some people in the crowd. They're the Pharisees who insist that Jesus silences the praise, silences the proclamation. That Jesus not only pulls the plug in this party, but he also rebukes those who are lost in wonder, love, and praise. Now, if you only read Matthew, Mark, and John's record of the first Palm Sunday, you'd think there was nothing but praise that day. But Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke tells us a different story. He injects this negative note. He informs us, you know, some people aren't impressed. Some people don't like what's going on. Some people are not prepared to go along with what is being said about this Jesus. And if nothing else, it reminds us that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to praise and proclamation, there won't always be a positive or a tolerant reaction. There will be people who will say, listen, tone it down, will you? Will you rein it in? Will you give us a break? And there may even be those who openly rebuke our worship. And on this historic and emotionally charged day, the Pharisees, they reprimand Jesus because they want the worshipers silenced. And it was in response to their negative vocal intervention and their demand that Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones will cry out. Somehow, and Jesus doesn't explain how, but somehow even if the disciples and the followers of Jesus, even if we don't speak up and we don't speak out, a bunch of inanimate objects will. And at one level, that simply reminds us, it reminds us something that actually we started this service with, that Stephen read to us from Isaiah and from the Psalms. It reminds us that all creation speaks, all creation sings, all creation praises God, all creation cannot be silent. We can be silenced, all creation cannot be silenced. And so here, here's another Psalm, Psalm 19 verse. We know this one, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies announce what he has made day after day. They're telling God's story. Night after night, they tell it again. So, so this idea of stones crying out and being able to praise, it's no big deal. But four years ago, my key point at this point was, let's not leave it to the stones. That because we have seen, because we have believed Jesus, so many of us sitting in this church this morning, because we have done, we cannot, we must not 
be silent. If we leave it to anything else or anyone else to proclaim Jesus, there's something wrong. Even if we face opposition, even if we face ridicule, even if we face open rebuke, it is our responsibility. And if we say nothing, if we don't praise and we don't proclaim, then our silence speaks volumes. Recently, and and for the first time ever, I came across this little book by the late John Stott. First printed in, in 1967. It was reprinted in the 70s. I think it's now gone out of print. But I picked up a copy this week. And as I, as I understand it, this little book was prompted by the awareness that Christians are sometimes too silent about their faith. It's prompted by the fact that Christians are sometimes too silent about their faith. The title of this little book is Our Guilty Silence. Has, has anyone ever read it or heard of it? One, Stephen. And in here, Stott identifies four major causes of our silence. And I've been really challenged this week as I've read this. Four major causes of our silence, and they're these. We have no compelling incentive to speak. The bottom line is, speaking of myself, we lack conviction. We lack conviction. The second reason, we don't know what to say. Or we say nothing because we have nothing to say. Thirdly, we're not convinced it's our job. Someone else's. Someone else will do it. Someone else should do it. Fourthly, we don't believe we'll do any good. Or maybe we, we have done so before and we've messed up and we've ended up discouraged and disappointed. Our guilty silence. And Stott then goes on in this little book to offer four remedies to break the silence. I'm not going to share those with you. And we book's over 50 years old, and you know something? I think it's still powerfully relevant. I've been really challenged by it this week. You see, the disciples on Palm Sunday, they were not silent. They praised God. They proclaimed to Jesus. And as a church, and as a community of his disciples, because that's what we are, we're a multitude of Christ's disciples in this place at this time. And there are truths that God wants us to share. There are truths that God asks us to declare in order that others will encounter Jesus and rediscover life in all its fullness. And God has actually said, listen, I have empowered you to be Christ's witnesses. You've been empowered to be Christ's witnesses. So do not go quiet on me. Let's not fall silent. Let's not leave it to a pile of stones. Because we are, as I read earlier to these guys, we are living stones. We're living stones. Therefore, let's not be afraid to lift our voices in praise and proclamation. Silence speaks volumes. Jesus is too important, too personal, too life-defining not to talk about. And Easter is a great time to turn off the mute and crank up the volume. 
And as Jesus rides on that day, against this backdrop of praise, and yes, there's tension in the air from some people, but against this backdrop of praise, there is another raw emotion on display. And so in verse 41, have a look at it with me if you've got a Bible open. In verse 41, we read, and I have this on the, on the screen. He begins to weep over Jerusalem. He may have been the only one in tears that day. As people were singing or, or seething, Jesus was crying. And I, I don't think that's an image that we readily associate with Palm Sunday. And apparently these tears were, were a kind of loud and deep lament. And the question I want to ask is why? What is it that's breaking the heart of Jesus whilst the vast majority of others are declaring his praise? And the answer is there in verses 42 to 44. Because Jesus knows that despite the praise, most of the people in this great city don't realize that true peace is within touching distance. You know that peace that they proclaimed earlier? As Jesus looks over this great city, he realizes most of the people here don't realize that peace is within their reach. Jesus knew, to quote the end of verse 44, that they did not recognize God's timing in coming to them to bring ultimate peace. Jesus knew in a matter of days they're gonna reject him, they're gonna crucify him. And therefore, what is Jesus doing here? He is weeping over lost lives. He's also weeping, by the way, over the coming destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So there's a prophetic position in this weeping. But he's weeping over lost lives. And as we enter another Easter week, and as we begin to journey towards Good Friday and Resurrection Day, towards the cross and the empty tomb, we need to realize, we need to take on board the fact that in our city and beyond, there are still many, many people who do not recognize that Jesus came to bring peace and came to reconcile people to God through himself. There are numerous people around us who won't give the cross or the tomb, a second thought this week. And therefore, this Easter, we need something of the heart of Jesus. We need something of the heart of Jesus for people, for people who do not know peace with God. Pray to God that our hearts would break with what breaks the heart of Jesus that we would see people's desperate need of forgiveness, of freedom, of peace, and of purpose. And as a result, none of us would be silent. And so may we go from here with our hearts full of joyful praise, with voices that are willing to proclaim Jesus. May we go from here to be a people of praise, a people of proclamation. And let's make sure our silence about Jesus this week isn't deafening. Let's make sure our silence about Jesus isn't deafening.